us here. For every door that you opened providentially and every door you closed, what you decreed from all eternity, for this moment in time, a time already written in your book before it ever existed, that this is where each of us would be. By your grace, for your purpose, unto your glory, and for the good of we, your people, here tonight. We trust in you, Lord, now that as we open your word, may the Holy Spirit give and grant great illumination to our hearts tonight. We pray the Holy Spirit will open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your word that we will see, that we will understand all such things in accord with your word that will bring a greater and deeper sanctification in all our hearts for the sake and the honor of your eternal Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen and amen. I invite you this evening to take God's word and let's open up to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. As we look tonight at a parent's need for grace. A parent's need for grace. Proverbs chapter 6. We'll start reading at verse 20 to verse 23. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. And so reads the infallible, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient word of the living, eternal God. We return this evening to our present series in the book of Proverbs where we have been fixing our attention on major expositional themes in this great wisdom book of God's holy word. At the moment, we've been looking for the past two studies of what Proverbs teaches us about parenting. Having considered general principles about godly parenting from Proverbs chapter 1, 18 through 19, and then looking specifically at our children's need for discipline, which took us to several places in Proverbs where we saw that Discipline is for the sake of the child, it is for the sake of the parents, and it is for the sake of society at large. But now, in our study tonight, we're looking at what I'm calling a parent's need for grace. It should go without saying that if and when God blesses us in our marriages with children, what we might have thought was a challenge in just being married cannot compare to the challenge that meets us with the awesome responsibility 
of raising our children. Parenting is not for the faint of heart. As much as our marriages stretch us and challenge us in our sanctification as Christians, raising our children tends to be even more challenging in this regard. One reason for this is because as Christian parents, we're having to shepherd the hearts of unregenerate children whose hearts are spiritual stone. In response to everything, we're striving to invest in them for the sake of Christ and his gospel. Our children are not naturally born Christians. They are naturally born sinners. Thus, every spiritual and moral investment we're making in them is met with a formidable opposition since they have no natural hunger and taste for God and his righteousness. Facing this honestly takes enormous patience, which calls upon the daily need for God's grace, which is why I've entitled this study the aforementioned A Parent's Need for Grace. And it's not only grace we need to enable us to raise our children God's way, but we also need God's grace to sanctify us in the whole process of raising our children since even as Christians, we continue to struggle against the sin that remains in our flesh. So let me just state the obvious. No Christian parent can parent perfectly. That's just stating the obvious. No Christian parent can parent perfectly. All our parenting, all of it, is corrupted by sin. Every bit of it is corrupted by sin, which is why we have to raise our children with great humility, realizing that the sins we see in our sons and daughters are the same sins we still have in our flesh. Therefore, it takes all of God's grace, all of God's grace to do parenting God's way. But what is parenting God's way? What does the book of Proverbs teach us as Christian parents in how to administer the stewardship God has entrusted to us with this heritage he has blessed us with in our children? This is the great question we'll seek to answer in tonight's study. And we begin by looking at what godly parents do in their parenting. What godly parents do in their parenting. Reading Proverbs 6, 20-23 once again. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. What we see in these verses is what should be seen in every Christian home. The father and mother working together to call and instruct and reprove their children in accordance with God's word. 
the commandment in teaching and reproofs of discipline, each refer to the wisdom of God's word, which we see set forth in the book of Proverbs. That is in the immediate context of the entire book of Proverbs. Though we could say rightly, and go further here, that it's not just the book of Proverbs, but it's all of God's word that we must be passing on to our children. In Psalm 119, verse 105, the psalmist says of God's word, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so here in Proverbs 6.23, the lamp and light describing the commandment and teaching of the father and mother are in fact the commandment and teaching of God's word. So there's nothing more important, brothers and sisters, nothing more important and critical in the educating of our children than opening up to them the commandment and teaching of God's word. This is what we call our children to keep and forsake not. This is what we call our children to bind on their hearts and tie around their necks. And it is the light of God's word which we are impressing on our children as the only infallible source of guidance and protection spiritually and morally and ethically in all of life. Nothing, understand this, nothing exceeds this with what we give to our children. Absolutely nothing exceeds this. But in application to us as Christian parents, this means, of course, we must have our own daily diet of God's word if we're going to have anything to give our children from this fountain of life. If our walk with God is not where it should be personally, okay, then we will fail miserably in the parenting God has called us to exercise with our children. And sadly, this is where many Christian parents tend to find themselves in their parenting. They consume their kids' lives with worldly things. Why? Because that's where their own lives are consumed. That is what their own lives are consumed with. Since the Christian parent is not daily walking in accordance with God's word, then what could they possibly have to give to their children that would lead them to Christ? The question answers itself. This is why what we see here with the godly father and mother in Proverbs chapter 6, 20 through 23 is not something, listen to me, this is not something that just happens automatically for Christian parents. You're not flipping on a light switch here. You have to be intentional. You have to be deliberate to educate your children by God's word in God's way. It takes work. It takes work and it's hard work. This is a challenge. But how does such education show up? How does such education show up? I'll answer this in the matter of when and how we discipline our children as instructed by God's word. So leading us to the next major point of our study, now let's look at 
the need for verbal discipline. The need for verbal discipline. Reading Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1, and then verses 5 and 6. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. Get wisdom, get insight, do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, that is wisdom, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. By verbal discipline, I am referring to how Proverbs teaches the way in which we both encourage our children and correct them with our words by God's word. In the first place, we see an example of verbal encouragement. Verbal encouragement. Here in Proverbs chapter 4, the father is strongly impressing on his sons to pursue and respect God's wisdom. But this method of discipline works by way of not only encouraging the pursuit, but adding to that the benefits that come with it. So Solomon says in Proverbs 4 and verse 6, Do not forsake her. Again, her is referring to wisdom. And she will keep you. There's the incentive. Love her and she will exalt you. Another incentive. Or look at verses 10 through 13 of Proverbs 4. Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Remembering that the wisdom passed on here is the commandment and teaching of God's word then when it comes to encouraging our children to, say, for example, honor and obey us as their parents. That's Exodus 20, verse 12, Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. To call our children to such obedience, we should say something to them like this. If you honor and obey me as God commands, you always need to emphasize that. This is not as the parent is commanding. This, this comes from God. As God commands, you honor and obey me, then things will go better for you here at home than if you choose to disobey. God's word teaches us as parents to use incentives like this in the application of our child rearing. It is a biblical method. It is a biblical method. Honor your father and mother, Ephesians 6 and verse 2 says. Honor your father and mother. This, Paul writes, is the first commandment with a promise. And then look at this. That it may do what? Go well with you. There's your incentive. Honor mom and dad. And God says, here's an incentive to that. It'll go well with you. It will go well with you. So then, on the flip side... When our children disobey us and we pursue to correct them, we should remind them of God's command to honor us, and then we need to say to them, it's not going all that well with you right now, is it? You're not honoring me, you don't get the incentive. No benefit for you. It's not going well with you because of your disobedience. Clearly what this teaches our children 
Now listen to this. What this teaches our children is that our choices have consequences. Our choices have consequences. Some good, some bad. But every choice we make leads to a consequence. Because this is how God has so ordered and designed the world we live in. And that's an awesome biblical truth that we need to be instilling in our children at the earliest of age. Okay? Galatians 6 and verse 7. What does it say? We all know this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Do you know what it means there when it says God is not mocked? The more, the more literal rendering, and to put it in our vernacular, no one turns their nose up at God. No one does this to God. Yeah, what are you going to do about it? These are the choices I'm making. What are you going to do about it? God. God is not mocked. And here's another important lesson regarding Galatians 6, 7. Um, whatever it is we sow, to good or to bad, we will always reap more than we sowed. We will always reap more than we sowed. Um, that's God's economy in this world that he made. We'll always reap more than we sow. So, this is how we verbally encourage our children. This is how we verbally discipline them, okay? That is with words of encouragement. But in addition to this, there is also verbal discouragement. Verbal discouragement, or we could say verbal admonishment. Again, here in Proverbs chapter 4, but this time in verses 14 and 15. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Even while our children may not yet be born again, we must not let them follow the impulses of their sinful heart by joining the company of other sinful peers who would only encourage greater sin. And how we do this, how we do this, beloved, is by warning them verbally against keeping such company. Like, not only quoting to them, but explaining to them, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company ruins good morals. You got to be wise with the company you keep. Proverbs chapter 13 says, you walk with the wise, you become wise. But you keep company with fools, you suffer destruction. But of course, to accomplish this kind of biblical parenting, please note this, there must be intentional 
open communication on the part of the parents regularly. Regularly. These parents who out of the fear of man refuse to talk to their kids about such things or even better, who might be just natural introverts and thereby settle into their temperament and never communicate, never communicate with their kids are doing great harm to their children. As one writer said, refusal to warn someone of the perils of sin is never an act of love. Our kids are not given to us by God to just leave them to themselves so they can, oh, find their own way. Do you know how many Christian parents do parenting that way? A lot. I'll just leave a Bible in their room and maybe they'll read it. I'm not going to talk to them about Scripture. I'm not going to open it up to them. I mean, you know, I don't want to invade their privacy. I don't want to get into their business. Why did you even have kids in the first place? What idiocy is that? What stupidity is that? What irresponsibility is that? hearts of our kids Proverbs 22 15 says listen to this the hearts of our kids according to Proverbs 22 15 is bound up in the folly of sin bound up in the folly of sin so guess what mom and dad leave your kids to themselves that's not love that's hatred that's hatred We must therefore be always communicating to them about the things of God, showing them the light and the lamp of truth. Otherwise, what do we do? We're leaving them in darkness by not communicating regularly to them the truth of God's Word. And what's really frightening are those Christian parents who actually assume, they assume their kids are right with God and there is no proof, there is no tangible evidence. They're just hoping against hope. But they're so afraid to dig in. They're so afraid to shepherd the hearts of their kids. What are they so afraid of? Their kids may not like them. Well, I got news for you, Mom and Dad. You're not your kid's friend. You're their parents. You're their parents. You're not their friend. You are their parents. There is a difference. But parents who just want to be their kid's friend, what have they done with their authority as parents in that moment? They've thrown it away. They've completely abdicated their authority. They have, they have brought themselves down to an equal level to their child. 
That is so wrong on so many levels, and yet it happens every day, even in Christian homes. Every day. Every day. But, moving right along in our teaching, God not only teaches us as parents the need for verbal discipline with our children, let's now notice the real controversial type of discipline, the need for corporal discipline. The need for corporal discipline. And there are several passages in Proverbs that teach this. Notice the following. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And then Proverbs 19, verse 18, discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. And then Proverbs 22, 15, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod, the rod of discipline drives it far from him. And then Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul. And then lastly, there is Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof, so that's taking both corporal and verbal discipline. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself, okay, here's, here's the warning, a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So despite how strongly countercultural and politically incorrect corporal punishment or discipline may be, understand this, it is biblical. And get this now, all these verses I've just read to you, where do they show up in God's word? They show up in God's word as the way of wisdom. The way of wisdom in how we raise our children. This is the way of wisdom. Spanking. It's the way of wisdom. Now, let's notice the difference between verbal and corporal discipline. Verbal discipline is always appropriate. Always. Appropriate and helpful both before and after a child sins and acts foolishly. Corporal discipline, however, is never appropriate except in response to a specific instance of sin and disobedience. You have specifically told your child not to do thus and such and they deliberately disobey you. It's time for the rod. That's the exception. Furthermore, when corporal discipline is applied, it must be joined with verbal discipline so that the child understands as clearly as possible why the corporal discipline is even happening. So, and I don't know a Christian parent who has never done this. I think we've all been guilty of this. Our child disobeys us deliberately. And rather than taking this as a moment of imparting wisdom, all we impart is the hand to the rear. And that's it. That's all we, that's, that's all we give them. That's all we leave them with. Well, 
guess what? That child has no idea why they have just received that spanking. What is this about? What is this for? If you're not communicating, you just hit them, okay? I mean, and preferably on the rear end, but because, you know, God put so much padding back there. That's where it should be. Um, but you spank them without communicating. That is not good. That causes great confusion in the child. So, again, when corporal discipline is applied, it must be joined with verbal discipline so that the child understands as clearly as possible why the corporal discipline is even happening. In other words, okay, understand, parents must help their children connect the dots between the sin they committed and the discipline they are receiving. Help them connect the dots. Moreover, the whole process of this act of discipline must be motivated and demonstrated by love for the child. Motivated and demonstrated by love for the child. This means, and this can only be true of Christian parents, this means you close this time with prayer and reconciliation. Okay? Fellowship between you and your son and daughter has been broken because of their disobedience. You need to reconcile. There needs to be reconciliation. And so in that time and in that process of corporal discipline, once the rod has been applied, you don't just get up and walk away. Now it's time to have prayer. Now it's time to reconcile the fellowship. That's love. That's grace. That's mercy. That's kindness. But in addition to this, and this is the biggest, you also take the opportunity to explain to your child why, in fact, they did sin and point them once again, once again, you point them to Christ and their need of him to save their soul. Do you understand, Christian mom and dad? This is a moment for real personal evangelism with your son or daughter. Give them the gospel. Close it out with leaving them with Christ and not with a frustrated, agitated parent at their child. You leave them with Christ. But with this general explanation as to what Scripture is teaching us in Proverbs and elsewhere concerning corporal discipline, let's draw in now a bit closer to underscore several principles regarding this part of parenting. First, it is only for deliberate disobedience. Now, I just mentioned that a moment ago, but I'm going to say it here as a point, as a principle. It is only for deliberate disobedience. Proverbs 10, 13 says, A rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. What's implied by lacking sense is a deliberate refusal. Now, listen to this. It's a deliberate refusal to take heed to the wise counsel and admonishments given by mom or dad. To such obstinate behavior, words alone have no effect. Words alone have no effect. What is applied then must be the rod, i.e. spanking. Second, corporal discipline 
is designed to impart wisdom to the child. Proverbs 29.15 says, The rod of correction imparts wisdom. Now, how so? How, how, how does this impart wisdom? The pain that comes with spanking should awaken our child that their overt rebellion is not tolerated and pain is always associated. It's always associated with disobedience. Always. Ted Tripp said in this regard, the rod of correction provides an immediate tactile demonstration of the foolishness of rebellion. That's the reason why when we do administer spanking, okay, on that super padded part of the human body, and especially if you have younger children, um, you know, make sure they can feel it. Make sure it hurts. Now, you may have a child. You may have a child like Lori and I have had. I'll not mention any names. Where you apply the rod and they're just as stoic as they can be. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you not feel that? <laughs> and you apply once more. They need to know and they need to understand. They need to know and understand. Pain is associated with my disobedience. Disobedience is not to make me feel good. It should make me feel very, very bad for what I've done. That is very important. As Ted Tripp says, and I like that, it is an immediate tactile demonstration of the foolishness of rebellion. Third, the corporal discipline must fit the crime. This is huge. The corporal discipline must fit the crime. As parents, we must not use sledgehammers to drive thumbtacks. A lot of wisdom in that rather comical statement. We must not use sledgehammers to drive thumbtacks. Charles Bridges wisely admonishes parents to recognize, and this is so good, I love this. He says, recognize that the rod is medicine, not food. The remedy for occasional diseases of the Constitution, not the daily regime for life and nourishment. To convert medicine, Bridges says, into daily food, gradually destroys its remedial quality. A lot of wisdom packed in that quote. So then, as parents, we must know, we must know when and when not to apply the rod. There's a time you do, there's a time you don't. And you need to know when and when not. Fourth, and this is when I'll be accused of meddling, parents must never apply corporal discipline out of anger and frustration. We must never apply corporal discipline out of anger and frustration. Now, we've all done that. I mean, we've all done that. But we must 
not do that. Okay? Remember the following verses. Proverbs 14, 17, and 29. A man of quick temper acts what? Foolishly. He who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs 15, verse 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife. To apply corporal discipline in anger is to act foolishly, to exalt folly, and to stir up strife with our children. Let me just pause and give you an important New Testament text in this regard, which you should know. Ephesians 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. How would you provoke your children to anger? By you disciplining them in anger. They're only reacting to you. Do not provoke your children to anger. The Apostle Paul repeats this. Colossians chapter, Colossians chapter 3. In verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. We have got to watch our temper in this act. We must flee this temptation to anger at all costs. Despite what our child has done in disobedience, they cannot see, now listen to me, they cannot see us losing self-control and flying in a rage at them. They can't see that because in that moment, we're denying everything God's grace in Christ has done to save us and change us and thus we look like hypocrites to our kids. We look like hypocrites to our kids. Well, that Christianity sure is real for you, Mom, Dad. But let me quickly say this, beloved. If we do fall into such a sin like this in the disciplining of our kids, we must go to our children. We must ask their forgiveness and make things right with them. That's going to have more of an impact on them much more of an impact on them that we the parent have humbled ourselves to our, to our children and we have admitted and we have confessed, you know what, I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong to speak to you like I did. I was wrong to, to treat you like I did. That was not the spirit of Christ. That was the spirit of anger. That was sin. And I have therefore not only sinned against God, I've sinned against you. Will you forgive me? It is critical as parents that we do that. Critical. Because guess what? Do you realize, Christian mom and dad, that everything you do in front of your kids at home Everything you do, everything you say, 
is leaving them an example, good or bad. Good or bad, you're leaving them an example. Everything. And the impact of that example for your child is not going to really show up until they get older. And then, and then if by God's grace they, they do come to faith in Christ, and then they got their own flesh to deal with, and they're going to realize how much in their own flesh there has been this impact of your flesh on them because they're carrying that baggage with them. And I know that none of you want that to be your legacy you leave with your kids. Just the legacy of the flesh. That's, that's not the true desire of a real Christian, I know. So, self-control is monumental in our parenting. It's monumental. And I will encourage you with this. God gives you the grace in Christ to be self-controlled. He gives you the grace to do what's necessary and what he calls you to do and how you discipline your children. You have the grace of God to do it. You do. It's there. All right, fifth. Parents must not apply corporal discipline in order to merely preserve their authority. This is not what the discipline is about. As one writer noted, to discipline for the sake of our own authority makes the discipline primarily about ourselves when it is supposed to be about God and our children. The only biblical reason to administer corporal discipline is because we want to save our children from the consequences of disobedience. Ted Tripp put it this way. He said the issue is not a parental insistence on being obeyed. This issue is the child's need to be rescued from death, the death that results from rebellion left unchallenged in the heart. Well, that should touch a nerve, I think, with all of us. Because what do we feel challenged when our child disobeys? Oh, you just didn't do that to me, did you? I mean, we, we feel our authority challenged. Well, that's because it is being challenged. But we do not discipline them to preserve that authority with them. That's, again, that's not what it's about. It's not about us. It's about them. It's about what we are doing to shepherd their hearts. So, in this act of discipline, now notice this. And this is our closing. In this act of discipline, Christian parents must apply it always in love for their child as a means to help them understand the seriousness of sin and to lead them once more to the only true remedy for their sinful soul, which is the salvation of God in Jesus Christ. And this, above all, is the fundamental goal of it is the primary object in everything we do as Christian parents. God has given us these children to 
lead them to him in the person of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what we want to leave our kids. We do not want to leave them with ourselves and try to make them think that we're the greatest thing since sliced bread. Okay, we don't want to encourage idolatry. But also, too, and this is huge, especially here in the Western world and especially here in consumer-driven America. We do not want to leave our kids with the world and just encourage them to gain more and more of it. We want to leave them with Christ. Always with Christ. Always with Christ. Jesus teaches us, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and in the end loses his own soul? I mean, what profit, what gain is that? But you know, there are Christian parents, sadly and foolishly, who seem to be doing all they can out of their own idolatrous hearts to encourage coveting in their kids to gain as much of the world as they can. And then, you know, it's like I said a couple of weeks ago. To give our kids the American dream, we're just giving them a ticket to hell. That's all we're doing. We're just giving them a ticket to hell. We must leave them with Christ at the end of it all. If your son or daughter, when they leave home, when they leave home, and especially, especially, you know, if they, if they get married and, and, they, and they write you a card or they write you a letter, not all of them will do this, but maybe they're going to write you a letter in thanking you for all those years that you patiently raised them. What are they going to say to you? What are they going to say to you that's going to mean the most to you as a Christian? God willing, they're going to say thank you for everything you taught me, everything you showed me about God in Christ. Thank you for leaving me with Christ. You didn't leave me with land. You didn't leave me with big houses and cars and lots of money. You left me with something that exceeds all of that. You left me with eternal life in Christ, pointing me to Christ. That matters more than anything. That's the goal of our parenting as Christians. We want to see our kids come to faith in Christ. That's the goal. That's the end game there. That's it. And so therefore, everything we do at home, how we live before them, the things they hear us talk about the most, the things that, that they watch about our lives, 
and then how we're personally engaging them, it should leave them with the reality and the truth of who Jesus Christ and his gospel really is. Now, would to God that we would be perfectly consistent in that, right? But that's not going to happen. So let me relieve you quickly. We're not looking for perfection here because that ain't going to happen. But we are looking for faithfulness. Faithfulness. That is what we should be leaving to our kids. My mom and my dad were always faithful to Christ. And they showed me and they proved to me that there's nothing greater in life than that. Because that's really what it's all about. It's all about Christ. Let's be diligent, brothers and sisters, to that end, by God's grace. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, for the heritage that you have given us in our children. A truly awesome heritage that is met with a very awesome responsibility that you've entrusted in our hands and to our hearts to our very lives for the years that you've appointed us to have these sons and these daughters under our roof and our homes Lord we beg of you in Jesus name give us the strength give us the grace to carry out all that you've called us to we trust in you for that father and we are very thankful, Lord, that you've not left us as parents to ourselves. You've not left us to figure all these things out on our own. But, Lord, you have given us all that we need in Christ and by your word and in the power of the indwelling spirit to be and do what, humanly speaking, we really cannot be and do. And that is godly parents who leave their children with more of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Forgive us, Lord, for how we have fallen short in this on so many, many, many occasions. Time, times without number. We thank you for the blood of Christ Jesus, our Lord, that has made atonement for all such sins that we have committed, indeed are committing as parents. We thank you for that. But we thank you too, Father, for the indwelling spirit who strengthens us to mortify these sins and thereby to repent. And so we, we pray in earnest for the reality and grace of that repentance. And may that repentance be seen in a very tangible way before the very witness, the very eyes and ears of our children. May we be able, by your grace, Lord, and for your glory, to show them this is what God does in the life of a sinner he saves. These things we pray earnestly and ask for the sake of Jesus, our Lord. In his name always we pray. Amen.
Dámy a 